Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is Hannah and James from the absolutely incredible band Hot Milk. I don't say this lightly, I truly believe this is the band to watch. They've just come back from a UK tour which sold out every single night. They've been announced again for the main tour support in the stadiums across the UK for the Foo Fighters. And honestly, their EP, I Just Want to Know What Happens When I'm Dead, is blowing my mind. I've had it on constant play for the last couple of weeks and it won't change. It's absolutely phenomenal. So I'm absolutely thrilled that both of those are joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, I like to use the intro to touch base and talk about my previous episode. On episode 162, I was joined by Neil Blomkamp. He came back for his third time on Mark and Me and he brought with him the amazing Carly Pope. It was so good to sit down and talk more about Dynomic, all about different movies, horror, the genre in general and just so much more. And since then I've seen people that have gone and checked out the film, have listened to the interview and absolutely loved it. So thanks for everyone who's taken the time to listen and I really appreciate the feedback. But today's episode is huge for me. Hot Milk are one of the best bands out there. I wasn't lucky enough because I've been ill to see them live, but as soon as they announce some more dates, I'm going to be there. Oh my god, this interview is brilliant from start to finish, so I think the best thing to do is to get straight to it. So here's me, Jim and Han talking all things Hot Milk. So Han and Jim, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having us. What I want to do today for the listeners is take it right back to the start. So Jim, can you tell me those kind of early albums that you remember buying that made you fall in love with music? My first two albums are pretty... uh, Is embarrassing the right word? Um, (laughs) They're probably not what you think they'd be. I think the first one was Justified by Justin Timberlake. Nice. And the second one... Hell yeah, I didn't know this. I'm learning stuff today, me. Yeah, it was... uh, Sorry, can I swear on your podcast? Sorry. You can swear all you like. Oh, bloody brilliant. (laughs) Shit, piss, fuck, cunt. Uh, And the second one was Craig David's first album. Not as cool as Justin Timberlake, but... No, but, you know, we upgraded. We went to, you know, The Darkness. Um, The first ever CD my grandma bought me for Christmas was Trivium, Ascendancy. Nice. I love the story, Jim. To which she was like, oh, well, we'll put it on then. And I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to like this. And uh, we put it on and it starts off track one. It's this lovely building piece of, like, kind of orchestral music and then it just comes in with rain and it's like BAM straight in your face and my grandma was like and that's enough so um I love how they all gathered around listening like yo this is gonna be great and then you're just like so's grandma bless her yeah the music got heavier like as I grew up so started kind of like more metal stuff like Machine Head and uh I don't know what else was I listening to. Although, like those kind of like emo stuff, like My Chem, you know, big into My Chem and the Fallout Boys and Panic at the Discos. Yeah, was, Hannah's was quite different. I mean, my first records were like Garbage and um, Dookie by Green Day, and then I ended up going more backwards rather than forwards. Like all my mates were listening to, you know, like the the Fallout Boy, like and Panic at the Discos, you know, that kind of era of music. But I ended up going back to like Heaney Kill, Replacements, Operation Ivy, Rancid. Ramones, The Clash, that's kind of where I went as a teenager, which was um, a bit different to my mates because it's because the internet, isn't it? Like you just end up clicking, 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 get, get on LimeWire, download Lime all the shit. Amazing. Yeah. And um, I ended up just like living in the 80s in my, in the noughties. Like it was a, it was a weird thing. So a lot of my kind of like ethos and stuff is powered by that era. Um, but I'm still obviously listening to the stuff that was coming out around my you know what my peers were listening to but yeah I kind of had a bit more of a uh, a holding within the original punk era of music I love the old uh, lime wire plug there when I remember like going to bed and leaving them on and waking up like please work please let that mp3 be what it says and it's like oh for yeah. fuck's sake, that's not Metallica that what the bollocks is this well, I actually thought um Emotion City City soundtrack song was a plus 44 song until very very recently until someone was like oh it's Motion City soundtrack I was like no it's not no no it's not and then it's that's like, incredible i was wrong yeah so it's just it's like that's how soldier boy got um 
is like success in it. Didn't he like label one of his songs as what, a, a song that was really popular at the time and then um, loads of people downloaded it and then heard Soldier Boy and that's how he got kind of big. That's, one that's of a genius stuff. idea. It is, isn't it? I was like, we, we, we. Playing the system. The <laughs> system, yeah. So obviously it all changes when you go and see one of your first bands. I was lucky enough. I think my first gig was Corn, and then I saw Green Day in the same week. So it was pretty awesome to kind of start. Wild week. Yeah, it was a hell of a week. And Limp Biscuit was supporting Corn, so it was just a mental week. It was oh yeah, amazing. What about you, Jim? Did you remember those first early gigs that you saw where you were like, "Fucking hell, this is what I want to do." I saw, uh, and it was and it's Shikari and the Blackout and your code name is Milo. At wow, Holy University. And my mum dropped off me and my friend and it was like the first time I'd ever experienced like any sort of like, so like I watched a bit of like the Leeds Reading kind of, you know, catch ups on the, on the uh, iPlayer or whatever TV. But the first time, I don't know if I played it, (laughs) but uh, yeah, no, that was the first time of being like proper in the thick of it. I think I was like 13, 14 or something like that. And just being like, fuck this, I'm getting involved and just, Running into a mosh pit, um, covering myself in bruises, just screaming every single word and then leaving and just being like, I want to do this as a job because this is mental. Yeah, People get paid to do this. Well, do they get paid? Yeah, not very much. <laughs> yeah. they, do, they do that. That's what they do for yeah. free it's like, yeah, it's that feeling and that euphoria of like, it's it's our church. I think that's the thing. I think it's the thing that, you know, you you would attach yourself to as a kid. And that's like, it's a feeling. It's, that's, it's, it's the it's, feeling. It's the addictive feeling of it. That's essentially what it is. It's one it? of those yeah. places where you can leave all your problems at the door. Literally. Yeah. Just yeah. Well, that's the point of it. Like we always say in our gigs, like you're coming here to have a good time. You're not coming here to, to, to dwell on anything that's happening in your life. Like it's a, it's an escapism, isn't it? definitely like the cinema and going to gigs for me is the moment you can actually just switch off and forget where you are and be taken somewhere else and if you can do that through music then you you're doing your job properly you know what i mean yeah it's really it's an honor to be able to do that for people because i think that's such an important aspect of having to live in the modern world like this is why obviously it's so important to have gigs back i think really people understood the the, what the gap that it left for people's ability to to cope you know with uh, the strains that, that modern life has kind of put on, upon us. So we need gigs to kind of let go. Um, but yeah, like, I think that's what became addictive when you first go to the minute. Like that's the first thing that you kind of latch onto. It's just that, fit. I mean, just being shaking of adrenaline when I came out my first gig run. It's just like insane. Who's yours then? Is it as cool as ours or is it a bit? Um, I mean, there's the real one and then there's the one I tell people. <laughs> the, the real one was Atomic Kitten when I was like nine. You know what oh. I mean? But the one that I chose to go to off my own back, I went to Taking Back Sunday when nice. I was like 13. And I remember I was too young to go because it was like 14 plus. And I got in somehow because I still don't look, I didn't look my age then. Like I probably looked about bloody 10 or something because I was only really small when I was little as well. But I got taken by like the older kids, the older emo kids around the corner. And I remember just thinking like, like it was so scary because everyone was bigger than me. But I was like, this is like, I don't know, it was magic. You know, it was like Disneyland for me, really. That's incredible. I suppose at that point you both knew, even though you didn't know at that time you're going to become, you know, in a band and successful, I suppose you just know that there's no other job out there. You couldn't go and work in a shop and know that's your life or in a nine to five in an office and just accept that that's all you're going to do for the rest of your life. Was it at that point you kind of both like, I just need to fucking do this? We Yeah, we tried. Like we came from, we played in bands since we were like, you know that age we yeah you know we learned I, I learned guitar from like i was like four i think when my auntie gave me her acoustic guitar and i was just using mess around on that and then learned more and more and then you know went to school met people met people who like the same music as me let's cover you know fallout boy um really badly let's go play some shit gigs to like six people and pretend you're a rock star and then that kind of dream gets surpassed as you get older and go oh God, I need to earn money. Yeah. And this just doesn't work. So you kind of feel yourself falling into that kind of. You get further and further away from the person that your childhood self wanted you to be. But I think for us, that never really died. And so for some reason, you know, we just quit our jobs and decided to really do the service to our childhood selves and went, yo, we're going to do this and we're going to sacrifice everything to do it. 
because like you, we had the ethos of like, well, someone has to do it. Someone yeah. has to be that person who you know plays for England or you know drives a on car or you know yeah. headlines leads Reading. Like, why can't we do it? You can do it. You can do what you want. There are but no we- rules in this life. You can go and do if you want something. You can go and get it. You've just got to make it happen. You've got to work hard. Yeah, there's a difference yeah. of wanting it and actually knowing that you really want it. I speak to so many people on podcasts that are like, I want to be a big film director. I want to be in a band. I want to be a director or a producer. And there's Go a and difference of just dreaming and wanting to do it and not you know, getting fed up at work and thinking about it or putting your absolute whole heart into it. And I don't just mean your whole heart, your body, your head, You've your finance. Yeah, you, your sacrifices yeah, will be made. Yeah, 100% sacrifice. It's absolutely, you know, like this... Some people have said to me, I don't know how you might like, we know we quit our jobs to do this. You know, we put everything in it to kind of go, right, we're, this is our thing now and there's nothing else that's going to get in our way. And I think we manifest as well. Like, you know, I think at the age of like 14, I remember looking in the mirror going, you're going to play music. Like I literally said it out loud. And once you've said it out loud, it's, you know, everything around you kind of falls into place because you're, it's when preparation meets opportunity you know you prepare on your own time you practice in your bedroom for hours and hours and hours and then when someone at school goes hey do you know anyone plays guitar you go yeah me and then you know what I mean it goes and like barrels and and it's like snowball effects before you know it you're in a position where it's kind of meaningful now and it's kind of becoming more like a, a real tangible thing but that's the years and years of being in the right place at the right time because you've prepared yourself to be there nice. and, getting in, and getting to the crunch point of like I have to make this sacrifice does this mean enough to me to make that sacrifice and having yeah. to go, yeah, yeah, it does. And just doing it. It's about how yeah. you view, view the world. I think, I think when music's really got you in your heart at a young age, it's the same way that religion gets people, you know, it's like, that is absolutely what you would die in a hill for. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of where we were both at. You know, we, we can't do anything else. I mean, back then you guys then moved in together, didn't you? Uh, and you were you met in a bar, you talked, you jammed, did the usual thing. I'm sure you did some battle of the bands and all the usual stuff that goes along with it at the very start. Mm-hmm. At what point was it that you thought, I'm going to just do this and make this everything? I know you both said you quit your jobs, but what stage was that? Because that must be every parent's nightmare. Like, mom, dad, uh, you know you wanted university and you know you wanted a job and you know you wanted all this. Fuck that. I'm going to be in a band. Yeah, I mean for us we kind of like so we were working in the music industry in Manchester as well so we were kind of putting on gigs and having bands stay at our house yeah so we were kind of like very involved in the local scene and so we could kind of like you know we had a few little contacts our mates band was like managed by someone and stuff so we were like okay let's but we didn't want to make it so that anyone knew it was us so we anonymously put our music on SoundCloud right nice and from there that link got sent around loads of people in the industry because we sent it to two people but then they sent it to two people and then yeah. you know, we had this weird like internal like industry buzz and we ended up getting a manager who flew out from LA for like one night to meet us and was like yo let's do this and wow. that's when we were like okay if you're on board we're on board let's quit let's go for it kind of thing so it was basically like right place right music right dickheads right time and uh, a lot of luck and also the internet man like once you've got you know it's like a it's a new age way of being in a band you know like there's so many artists that are found from just being on the internet these days you know and so um it was just a lot of things coming into you know kind of place at the right time with that but it happened quite quickly really yeah it was a lot of like you know i wouldn't, I wouldn't say like I, we planned to to do to come back into music by playing it, you know, being an artist, but yeah. like it was the, the settling for, you know, I, I did like, I came from the production side, so I was doing lighting for bands. Hannah was, you know, putting on gigs and uh, that was always the B, B, you know, the, the runner up prize. And we were like, okay, if, we, if this is the best way we can stay in the music industry, so be it. And then, you know, we met each other and kind of thought oh, we could, we could probably do this, eh? Like, wrote some songs. Yeah, we were just kind of started writing, like, organically, though, like, in literally our living room at the time on an acoustic guitar. And I think we just did it as, like, a hobby and just something to kind of do because I think I get bored really easily. So as much as I love, like, the local scene and putting on gigs and stuff, it was getting monotonous. You know, I think we needed something 
to kind of get out of the you know it becomes a job so we were kind of like okay let's go and write some songs let's see what happens oh let's put them online let's see what have what happens with that and then from that we kind of were like fuck like we might have manifested something here that's kind of like big you know what I mean did so, you feel pressure with that though like it's not that it's not I'm not saying the words easy because you've worked hard but it seems that you're in the right place the right time was there and you know it is a bit of luck isn't it that you put it out and that got this right person and that person it, some people will just work for the rest of their lives trying to be in a band and never make it but did you feel that pressure when you started to see all these downloads and plays and someone's coming from America to speak to you and you must be like fuck this is really happening I think we still feel the pressure yeah, yeah. it's like pressure, for sure. that, you know we didn't come from like the grassroots or the old school way of being like you start off playing in pubs like we've done not that, with, not with we really, that yeah we, we did that really through bad, other bands not yeah. Band, yeah so we kind of you know we took it from like it was like a okay grassroots here go from there plateau for a bit and then go up it was yeah. kind of like getting your ducks in a row and i feel feel like that we for us was the necessary it. thing yeah. to, to do like we had to do it about it this way because we had so much to lose in the, in our careers and, you know, it's that kind of respect. So the pressure was a hundred percent on, cause there was a lot of people looking at us going, including, you know, parents, you you know <laughs> family, friends being like, you're mental. What are you doing? You have like, a job, you literally are fine. Like, you know, we're in our early twenties and like you, you're sorted, like you've got a job, it's steady. Like, you know, you're working in music, like you always wanted, like why are you risking it out all to go and be in a band? Like, and I think it's because ultimately, that life had got away from us and we ended up, yeah, we, we aimed for, you know, what we wanted really and, and landed somewhere close to it, but it wasn't enough because I think when it's always in your heart of what you actually want to do, you're always going to end up coming back to it. And yeah. that was what it was for us. And I think like it happened quite quickly and yeah, there was a lot of pressure, but I think we'd been very clever about the way that we built it. And I think we were very clever about the way that we put, like, put it out there. Um, and, you know, we did it anonymously because ultimately we wanted it to be based on the music and not anything else. I admire your bravery on that, because when people are saying to you all the time, you're mental, this is insane. What the hell are you doing? I suppose some people would just, you know, buckle at that. But I like the fact you probably use that as a ammo. Like, do you know what? I'm going to yeah. fucking do this. I am actually going to do this and prove all you people wrong. I think as well, like, I mean, I'm a big I'm quite like philosophical and I just always think that like if people think that you're doing something mental then you're probably doing something new and fresh and quite revolutionary so yeah. I feel like if someone is saying no then that's just going to tell me like yes I need to do that because I think that's I was always a naughty teenager you know what I mean so for me like that's like ammo that's like yeah. that's like oil that's like gasoline in my fucking engine you know what I mean so I'm just stubborn and like proving people wrong they're like you can't do that I'll do it and what's more fucking rock and roll than sticking it to the man, man? I was Definitely. just like, I was ready to put my finger up at somebody. I was angry. I had a lot of like, you know, there's like some of the people in the music industry really fucking butted me up the wrong way. And I was just like, fuck these people, man. Let's go and do something that shows that we can fucking do what we want and give them a fuck you. And I think that's what it was. I think we were, and it still propels me to this day is just the, the, the ability to go like, all right, mate, you're a fucking dickhead. Now let's go and watch me fucking play main, main stage at Redden and Lee because you're a cock. You nice. I mean? And that's like, it's that kind of like ethos for me that just kind of like, I do it with kindness and with a smile, but always I know in the back of my head, like you were a dick to me, mate. So let's have Give it. You fire. Yeah, it gives me fire a little bit for sure. I think like when you've been treated as inferior by somebody or certain people in an industry that can you know, is really kind of toxic. I think in order to break free from that, you've got to do something that's quite, um, like, I don't know, quite big. And aggressive. Way. It's quite aggressive, yeah. But I don't know, it's just, uh, it's, it's our fuck you, really. This is so our fuck you. So you guys were behind, obviously, the music, but you weren't showing your faces, you weren't kind of out there. You were kind of this secret project building and getting your ducks lined up, as you said. What was the moment when you were like, we need to go out there and show this isn't just a thing on record. We need to put on the best live show. We need to get people that are coming to a gig and we're going to support those bands and try and get those listeners and fans to listen to us instead of the band they've paid for, you know, that sort of mentality. Yeah. I think that was like straight from the get go. Like the, the building of the band happened over like a year. Was it Han? Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of a year and that, that year was like us, keeping ourselves to ourselves, letting the music do the talk, letting everyone else in the industry do the talking. You know, there was people bubbling here, there, everywhere. We kept getting calls from like 
agents being like, will you meet us? What, who are you? Tell us who you are. Why won't you tell us who you are? And it's just like, there's no need. Like, And also, it's because music I, was, I was like, I can't tell you who you, we are because you know who I am. Like, it was like, it was a, such a thing of like, they were getting really annoyed at us because we wouldn't tell them who we were. But I think when it came to it and kind of like becoming an actual real band, we really needed to make sure we were fucking good yeah. because of the extra pressure of like, like that promoter from Manchester and that's that lighting guy from Manchester. What the fuck are they doing? I can remember getting a call from an agent, like being like when they found out it was me and they literally were like, there was someone I was really respected and they were like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what do you think you're playing at? Like, this isn't like, this isn't like a thing that happens. Like, so I think for us, we really, really needed to make sure that our live show was good and also I think we really needed to show that we can really connect with fans and people I think that's one of our, our strongest things is that ultimately connection is what I thrive off and what yeah. I need in my life and to be able to do this is why this like being in a band is perfect for me because I get to literally meet so many awesome people and have that connection and I think they're in the industry side they'd never seen that side of me and Jim before and I think they really were shocked by it I think and I think in terms of like letting letting our hair down, like I don't think there ever will be a time where you can sit back and kind of relax. Like you get, con- like, yeah, you get kind of consistently, you know, comfortable in your in your area. That's when you start to plateau. Like you should always strive for more. You should always, you know, want to n- not maybe be the best in the world, but be the best you you can be. And like, do you a, a, yeah. don't do yourself a disservice, and you know, constantly. It's so freeing because we're now. Like it's so free and we can be like whoever we want to be now. It's great. Like I can, we can write and explore and go into, you know, things we never thought we would be able to do because we're already doing something that was, you know, the, the odds were against us. So let's just take that a bit further. You know, let's just see where we can go with it and see how, what boundaries we can push. Cause ultimately that's what it's about for me. Like doing something a bit naughty and just being like, what can we do here? That's not been done before. But I think it's really important as well, and a lot of bands don't see it as much, is how transparent it is from a fan watching on stage. If you're like just doing a half-hearted, this'll do, let's get through the set, let's do it and get to that point where you're just plowing through the sets. I went to see System of a Down and at the drive-in, I was like, this is going to be incredible. You could tell they were just on the cash grab tour. They couldn't be asked anymore. They didn't have that oomph and drive and passion. But then you go and see bands like Black Peaks and Thrice and Biffy Clyro, and they're like doing it because they're still hungry they still have ideas and that's what i love about you guys you're there still knowing you've got a mountain to climb and you're nowhere near where you want to be you just want to keep fucking going i think the day that that you realize that you're just in it for the money is like anything it's probably yeah Yeah. like you don't enjoy it anymore you've lost the love you've lost the passion and like the re (laughs) the reason why i'm so full of cold and ill and just genuinely knackered it's because that tour was only what a week long, week yeah. just over a week. But we gave like everything, like one hundred and ten percent of every show, every single night, and that's mm-hmm. the way it should be. Like someone has spent their you know cold hard earned cash to come, you know chosen. They like your music. They they are coming to watch you, and you have to give your everything. You just have to. Yeah, you're a host for that night. That's how I feel. I feel like, you know, you we're here in this house, in this fucking room, and we're all here together, and we're going to put on a show, and we'll be like, jump, 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 everybody get involved. Like, this is, that's art. We have to, like, entertain, and that's the, ultimately what you are. You're an entertainer, you know? And it's better because, I, like, if you enjoy it, which we do, like, we you know, I really feel at home being in that role. Yeah. And I think I enjoy it to the point where, I think it's very, very easy to see, you know, I think we're very open performers as well. So I think you can see every single emotion in everything we, we do and sing. And I think it's, I don't think I couldn't not give a hundred percent because I'm here for that. I'm there for, here for them as much as I'm here for me. You know what I mean? The thing is, Jim, you said it's only it was just over a week, but it looked like from every photo I saw on Instagram and every video you saw that you shared and stuff, you literally hands on heart looked like you were putting your, everything into it every little bit there was no second of just like oh let's just play this bit and get through it you all look like you were there doing the last gig of your life every single night that's the way it's got to be like we've done that throughout it it, is a weird one like han and i were talking about the fact that we've always we've always been trying to get fans we've all be always been the 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 people that were on stage that nobody really knew about the new little bits and bobs you know the support tours the festival slots They're quite difficult unless you, you know, you're high up the bill 
and you've got loads of people there, most of the time, Reading, for example, first on main stage, that's a, that's a hard slot to play. You know, everyone's weary-eyed. And you've got to come on stage, own that stage, and entertain and make people feel involved and make that connection between your music and their hearts. So the, the tour, c- coming from that kind of aggressive, yeah, semi-aggressive nature of being like, we're here, listen to us, um, to you're here, you're here because you want to be here. We don't have to win you over because you're already with us. You, you know, it's a big old family. And yeah. it was such a nice change of pace to be like, Hannah was like, you don't have to, because I got, I got nervous before the first show. I was like more nervous before Leeds Reading, before, before Foo Fighters. That first show of our headliner, I was nervous. And she was like, we've done the hard work. They're all here for us. You can do anything. And I love it. And it's true. Like, Everyone, every single person in that room had had such a good time, including us. Including us. I just think I'm a, such a better performer when I know that they're there for us as well because I can just be suddenly like, oh, okay, let's fucking yeah. go. You know what I mean? I just think it's so... It's, I'm going to make me cry. Oh, so I'm very emotional today because I think when you come off a tour like that and like you feel the love and then you're back home in your house with your flat... Sorry, in the flat with your cat... It's like, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a weird feeling, but it's just, I'm so grateful to be able to have had those shows with people that actually give a shit and to be able to have such a good time with everybody. Everyone was having fun. That was such a nice You literally day. was just about to take the next question out of my head because I was thinking, what's it like now? You want to come down? Because it's only a couple of days yeah. ago you stopped touring. How do you kind of even adapt to just, I'll have a cup of tea and put the telly on and just sit in my nightie for 10 minutes yeah. and just try and... <laughs> Yeah, literally, that's what's happening. I don't know. I think knowing that that was the start yeah. and that, that there's still more to come, I think, is such a... That's like, okay, that was that was just the tip of the iceberg. And I think you've got to have the positivity of like, okay, the world's back contract now. We can start planning the future. And I think you've got to kind of go, cool, that happened. What's next? I think if you kind of dwell on it too much, you'll kind of get all caught up in the, the down parts of it. But I think you've got to keep looking forward and take the good bits of it yeah and it was success great awesome but I think for me specifically I am very up and down with my moods anyway like I will you know wallow a lot so I think that's going to be specifically hard for me coming off something like that because I felt myself for like for the first time in a long time and um yeah it's now, basically uh, chasing it's chasing the high isn't it it's, it's one to keep the high, high. yeah um it's like calm down so yeah we'll get high again soon yeah, the frustration yeah. of being like a new band um, and not having, you know, your album cycles where you're like, you know what you're doing for the next two years. Whereas we're kind of like, we're, we're going to do another EP. We're still quite on the fly with it, aren't we? We're still, yeah. like, we're still super in control of everything we do. So I think me and James, it's on me and James to kind of decide like what we want to do next. Um, so we're constantly looking for that next thing to do, which is, you know, quite difficult because, uh, you know, people are still semi you know, conscious about going out and doing yeah. things. It's it's kind of not, you know, the world's not fully reopened. It's not back to norm, but whatever normal is. Um, yeah, like, you know, we can't travel internationally. Like a lot of bands obviously will finish the UK and go to America or whatever. Like we've not had that privilege yet because the world's been, you know, stuck for a while. So, I mean, you know, I think all we've got to do now is just throw ourselves back into writing, writing the next one and come off the back of that and, think okay what worked well at live I think we're going to write a lot more for live now because I think there's uh moments I think we can make that live show better like so I think you write you know songs that can kind of complement that yeah and I mean that's the crazy thing while this tour was going on obviously the EP came out so I suppose you were focusing so much on each night playing putting on a performance getting to the next venue sound check and all this you probably did you probably completely forgot that you had this EP coming out and that your music was available for everyone suddenly yeah, it was weird that actually, Jim. I mean, I completely forgot to post a bunch of stuff on socials that I was supposed to post about it. I was like, hang on, it's out today. Fuck. Like, you know, you're in sound check and you're trying to, you're running around because your bloody battery packs, you're, you're, you know, your batteries and you're like, oh shit, the EP's out. Fuck. And then I think what shot me that reminded me that it was out was that people knew the words to the songs that weren't the singles on the yeah. first day. And we were like, I mean, hey, oh, I what's me- happening here? <laughs> Who's, me, who's been on LimeWire? Who's got our songs already? Yeah, yeah. Who's been on LimeWire? What's happening? I think for me, it's, it's one of those where we've been trying to put... We, it's been in our hands now for too long, like a year, two years. 
and we were just so ready for it to come out like the it was it was a weird like weird build up because we, we were so focused on on Leeds Reading and the tour and stuff like that it kind of almost like surpassed it yeah, yeah it was kind of like what out it goes um it's been sat on your computer like you've been working on it producing it for the last bloody six months so i think the songs we you know we've listened to them thousands and thousands of times so i think it was kind of nice just for it to be gone at this point you know he kind of like you know producing it yourself in a bedroom and recording it yourself you know it's never finished is it so i think that it needed to leave it needed to be gone and to be someone else's rather than ours i i guess it it was kind of nice to have another body of music because like you know our first ep like are you feeling alive came out so long ago and between that there's just been kind of singles so you put that out and then it's like that'll sit for a week and then it'll be like okay now the next thing and it'll be another single so it's like now we've got a kind of thicker body of music that's out now that people can really get into and, and rediscover or discover who we are right now what hot milk is is right now um it's quite exciting like we're we're still waiting to see like you know what the what the fans' favorite songs are because obviously it came out on that tour. Yeah, a lot of fans didn't know all the words to all the songs, so I'm kind of I'm excited now to see like oh what you know. Yeah, after what, they pulled what... it over for a bit, which is the one that like stands out to them because uh, for me I have a different new favorite every day from that record, uh, which is a good thing. But then there's also ones I wish I'd be put on it. You know what I mean? But you can only do so much with an EP because that's the thing. Like for us, it's another EP after this again because I think when we write an album, it needs to be more like a journey kind of thing. A bit, more, a bit more focused as well, like that yeah, EP. We're experimenting that, still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And because of, of the pandemic and that, like some of that EP was written a bit longer ago and then some of it was written near the end of it. And this EP is probably going to be a little bit more broken up because again, we still can't go and do what we want to do. Whereas, like, by the time the first album comes around, I want to be able to sit down for like a month, two months, and be like, okay, let's plan this out properly, like, and, and make it feel like a co- cohesive, yeah, piece of art. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. The pressure must be horrible. I think I saw a post only from you today, Han, and you're like, EP's done, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, now I've got to do a fucking other one. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> I've done that. It was really emotional. It took a lot, you know, it drained a lot of your, your emotional <laughs> brain cells. And now another one. And I think it's it's an extra pressure on Jim as well, because obviously when we self-produce it, yeah. it is hard work. You know, you it's long, long nights in the studio. It's me driving back in the rain to my house at 4 a.m. and getting up again at 8 a.m. to go back. And yeah. as well, when it's just us two in the studio doing all, all of it, you've got no like person telling you it's good you know that's, with that for me is that's the hardest part for me like not having that backboard of like someone who's just a little bit outside of the circle like having having a producer you're working yeah. with that band is you know has so many pros and, and cons but one of those massive pros is that you can be like i think this is sick and they can go that's dog shit yeah whereas like it's down to me to make that final call. Well, it's down to both of us to make that final yeah. call. And also, we don't always agree sometimes. Like, no, which makes things re- even harder. Even harder, yeah. But I think that's why for this for this next one, at least for one or two of the songs, just to start off the process, we really want to go out to LA and write with um, a guy that we know out there just to have some kind of fresh injection. Because obviously when you've been stuck in a bed- bedroom in bloody Salford for the last year, yeah. it's not exactly the most inspiring place to start you know another record um i think we need to go out somewhere else and just kind of get rejuvenated and try definitely and yeah experience the world again yeah just try like travel for me is like just makes me feel alive so i think that's where we need to go i think we need to go and just go and be somewhere else for a little bit that would be nice so you guys were just talking about obviously the XDP, but then after that the album, and then thinking about getting involved with maybe a producer or somebody else that can then be part of it. It's not just isolated down to, you know, as well as you've done, Jim. It's kind of the pressure of producing, like you said. You don't know if anyone's there to pat you on the back and say this is fucking awesome, dude, or this is shite. How does it feel about kind of changing that dynamic and then having that extra person on board because it. A takes a lot of pressure away, but at the same time, I don't know. It then take, it becomes someone else's as well, doesn't it? 
I don't know, because like as an artist, for, for me, I'm like, I in, really enjoy collaborating with new people because I feel like that's when you really start to understand what your art is and how how it can expand into different you know avenues. And we've always said from the start, like our music is not like one. It's never going to be in a box. It's never going to be like a simple like this is straight up this that and the other. We flirt with like so many different different genres, and I feel like by collaborating with different artists and producers and stuff like that you really kind of explode what your what your art is you know yeah. what i mean it's, it, it no, fair. rather than stay stagnant so sometimes it can be a bit frustrating when someone is like oh i think you should do this and i'm like oh hannah's like oh, i don't really know like yeah and you know that's all part of the challenge and the and the fun of of collaborations like you, you never know what you're going to come out with. Um, and don't get me wrong, we have tried to collaborate in the past with some people and they've not been fruitful at all. It's just been like, you know, this is the thing, there's no pressure to put it out. If you feel like it's not you and you feel like it's not representative of what hot milk is, then we just, just doesn't come out. Yeah. You know, I and, always, and always James will have the final write-off on it because we'll always come back into the studio and play with it. Yeah. I yeah. don't really like the idea of you guys recording in some big huge studio executive coming down and saying it needs to be more radio friendly make this more catchy make this chorus a bit more poppy that i can't never happen. never no. No. I never happen. I feel like there's any kind of executive that would ever be able to tell us what to do no it just we, we're lucky in the in the sense of our team the team we surround ourselves in have like got full belief in what we do and what we, yeah what we i think that's the big thing we really wanted to retain control of absolutely everything and we have done so i feel like we're all good on that front. We'll take their advice, like. Yeah, <laughs> they're just extensions of us. And, like, we love to hear what their opinions are. But at the end of the day, they're never going to be like, no, you can't do this. Yeah, that's Which good. Is I can imagine, like, you know, in Wayne's World, when they go to the big studio and they're sitting there. <laughs> I don't want you guys yeah. to be like that. Hard no, milk, never... hard milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, there's absolutely no chance that's going to happen. Like, I just feel like, again, like going back to like the whole punk ethos kind of at the heart of what, what we're doing. Like, I think being told to do certain things is just not in our makeup. Like, if anything, if someone tells us to do something, we'll do the opposite anyway, just because it's funnier. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, no chance. We'll do what we want. Like, I always say I'm Hannah fucking me, mate, and I'll do what I want. I'll do what I want every time. Fuck that's off. good. And what was it like, guys? Because I was there in Wolverhampton over 20 years ago when Foo Fighters brought out their first album and Colour of the Shape, and I got to see stuff like Everlong in, with 200 people. This band's well, now selling yeah. out stadiums um, in record time, all the time. They, they, they're fucking the biggest band in the world probably right now. It's insane. Mm -hmm. What was it like when you got asked to play these stadium gigs? Because you talked about opening the stage at Reading and Leeds. That's one thing, you know, doing this tour the ep but fucking dave grohl saying do you guys want to come and play that's pretty unbelievable yeah it's still unbelievable to be honest <laughs> like are you sure mate i think the first thing we said was i think we said are they sure are they are they not mistaking us for someone else like, <laughs> you sure it's not what? hot chip yeah hot chip, <laughs> mate. yeah exactly i think um i don't know it's weird the first like when we've supported foods just before the pandemic because we were only really touring for a year before like properly before the pandemic hit yeah um like I honestly can't remember that period of time because I was on I was quite depressed right and so I had a bit of like a um what's it called when you don't really know what's going on I don't know I was on a lot of like disassociation I was disassociated yeah and uh, I had a lot I was like I was on sertraline which is like one of the songs actually on the records about and I actually can't really remember a lot of it um it's really weird uh so I think James probably better to ask about that because I honestly <laughs> it's, it's it's such a weird time for me that like I don't know if I am the better person to ask because I was super stressed with trying to get everything to be as perfect and like you know in control of how everything was working like especially on the food the actual shows themselves yeah I was so stressed I didn't really enjoy the shows I didn't really take stock like by the time I'd settled into playing the gig it was already like pretty much over so then I was like okay because you know we were kind of pretty much like tour managing ourselves and like you know I look up you know sort out all the I, I suppose we md ourselves as well live and it was just one of those things where i'd taken on way too much and it was too big of a gig and i was just like oh my god i can't i can't get into the yeah. you know jim 
playing he in big He wasn't Jim the rock star, you know what I mean? He was, uh, you know, he was the one plugging in all the bits and making sure that stuff worked. And, you know, we had, you know, a, a guitar tech with us, but <laughs> like, you know, a lot of the stuff is on Jim because Jim built our rig, right? Yeah. So he built, he built everything that, how, how we play live, it's, it, James really knows the blueprint of it. Um, and so, you know, he was super stressed out. You know, the guitars weren't working. It was Jim that had to fix it. Like when we played Reading Festival the first time, we had to stop a song halfway through and Jim had to run off and go and fix something. Like that's the <laughs> thing. Like, we're still so, self, we're so super self-sufficient to a, to a fault almost because ultimately it begins and ends with us because we are so self-serving. Like we don't have someone to turn to and go, hey, you need to fix this because we're the only ones that know how to fix it. Um, yeah. So those, those like- shows... It, those shows are just like any other gig really when it gets to the day you forget that you're playing with the Foo Fighters because your fucking guitars aren't working yeah you know what I mean it's just like any other show at that point but when you get back and you realize hang on a second we did that like obviously that's a, a feeling that you can't really replace but on the actual day of the shows when something's not working and it's on you to fix it's just like any other show but like what the pandemic kind of taught me was that I I'm not going to get these chances ever again. Like I need to, I need to enjoy what I'm doing and like, I do enjoy it, but it's stressful. But I was like, you need to let go a little bit and just live in the moment more. And I think we've been, obviously we've been offered these Foo Fighters again, which is incredible. Like that they, they're still supporting what we're doing. So like, I really want to enjoy these, these shows, you know, we're playing Birmingham and London. Like we're going to, I'm just going to settle down focus myself before I go on stage not take on too much and just really live in the moment and, and absorb that feeling because it might never ever happen again I think now because we're the bigger ba- a bigger band we can have extra hands to help us because you know it it was to really too big a gig for a band like us at that point it was a great opportunity and you can't say no to it but then obviously you wonder how the fuck did we pull that off yeah and not completely fuck it up considering you know, we were tour managing ourselves and we were just so like, we weren't, we were out of our depths in some ways, but not in others. You know what I mean? It's still we, a baby band. Like the, the set yeah. we were playing, like looking back, it, you know, we completely. Shit compared to the one we played. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I think this time, obviously we're getting the honour to bit like to support them again, I think, because they know how hard, because we obviously we made kind of a bit of a relationship there the first yeah. time. Yeah how hard the pandemic was for us. So I think that's why, you know, they, and they enjoy having us around on tour. And I think that's why we're going out again. It's just because, you know, like it's, it, they're such nice guys and big supporters of new music. And that's just a fucking good spot to be in, man. Like you can't hope for any more from one of the biggest fucking rock stars in the world. Like what a, what a guy for continuing to support a shit band from Manchester. You know what I mean? <laughs> So I'm insanely grateful for any opportunities that them guys uh, them do, and also this time I think it'll mean a lot more in terms yeah. of just like for us, and um, I'll actually be able to remember it because I'm not absolutely off me off me rocker anymore. <laughs> it's incredible, and to know that you're going to do this and enjoy it. Hopefully, I really hope Jim, you enjoy it and go out there and have fun because you've got someone just to help with some of the stuff with the production and everything else that's going on. Obviously, Han, you're going to be in a better mental state and be more, you know, experienced. And this tour, I'm sure, off the back of it, you're like, bring on the fucking world. You know what I mean? You must be yeah. ready. Yeah, I feel like we're ready. I feel like we're ready to... I really want to go to the fucking States and just rip them a new one, man. Like, that's yeah. the biggest thing I want to do. I want to show them what Manchester's about. You know what I mean? I want to go over there and be like, hot milk from Manchester, take this. You know what I mean? I think we're just ready for anything now. I think we're, we're tight enough. The set's great. The new songs are fucking sick like let's go let's fucking have it and so this time and next year like year of hot milk man it's coming i can't wait and then hopefully will you i'm not, I'm not going to hold you to this now but is there going to be another uk tour obviously there was not that many dates this time but you did really incredible with sales surely next time you want to do more longer bigger venues yeah I mean, we're already you know in, in we're already planning. We're yeah. Them what, yeah i think maybe do some little bee markets, some towns we didn't hit maybe before festival season next year. And then so maybe some bigger, bigger shows towards the end of the year in the main, the main cities. And, and then that. some support, supports in and around that. Like we, you know, it's, the, it's our favorite thing to do, play shows. We just, yeah. we love it. So we're, as, we're in a band, I yeah. want to play as many shows as possible next year. Yeah. 
Yeah. And my final question for you guys today, and usually I have one guest on the podcast, so you might have to fight over this today. Uh, what I do on the podcast to make it as original as I can is I ask the guests to choose the outro piece of music. It can be any band, any song, anything you want, <laughs> but basically you get to choose the song that is the finishing end of this episode or podcast. Mozart's Third know. Symphony. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I had a guest on recently that picked a 16 minute Yoko Ono B side, and I was like, for fuck's sake. But oh <laughs> that's fair play. That's, yeah. no, that's wankery, that, isn't it? Come yeah, on. it's like the episode um, was 20 minutes, and they're fucking 15 minutes of Yoko Ono at the end. I was like, that's not good. I know what you can use, Jim. I've got an Go idea. On. Go on. You'll, you'll agree. Okay. White limo. Oh, yeah. Oh, lovely. Amazing. Yeah. We're always like, play white limo, and they're like, nah. I'm gonna like when we hear them playing it in soundcheck. Yeah, like, we're like they're gonna play White Limo tonight, and we always say today play White Limo. So White Limo by Foo Fighters. I love that. We always just yeah. say to Dave, you know, my mate Dave, good old Dave. Little Cole. Dave, little Dave, yeah. Um, I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast. It's genuinely an absolute pleasure to have you on. I can't wait to see what happens next year. Already, just seeing the tour you've come off is like, these guys are fucking going higher and higher and higher. And I truly mean it. If I have bands on I don't like and they're dickheads, I'll tell them. And I really fucking love you guys. And I can't wait to see what happens with you guys. You've not just Foo Fighters, the next EP, the album. It's just, I think this is just the start. And I mean that with full respect. Oh, cheers, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really appreciate it. We love love talking to people and love... You know? Yeah, that's the thing. We love chatting to people, and like, yeah, this is this is a joy to be able to meet so many different people throughout this whole thing. Like, what an amazing opportunity just to live through this band. So there it is, me, Jim, and Han talking all things hot milk. And I'll tell you what, this band, and I said it at the start, are going to be absolutely huge. Their live show is like nothing else. They give absolutely everything from the moment they walk on stage until they leave. Their performances are just iconic already and I can't wait to see them getting even better, even bigger and people finding out more about their music because once you listen, I'm telling you now, you will fall in love. I really do think this band are going to go on and be absolutely huge. The sort of stadium filling bands, that's how much I believe in this band. They are so good and already we're seeing them announced for some big festivals next year and they're going to go higher and higher. They opened the stage this year at Reading and Leeds, and that is a huge statement, and they did it in style. You need to now go and just check it out on Spotify. The EP, as I said at the start, is called I Just Want to Know What Happens When I'm Dead. It will blow your mind, and it is fucking awesome, so please go and do that. If you've enjoyed today's episode, all I ask is that you share it. It's really easy to do on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you go on Mark and Me, all the links are on there, markandme.com. It's as simple as that. Click on that share button on Facebook, post it on your stories on Instagram, or retweet the episode. It brings a whole new audience and lets people in your network see the podcast. And that costs absolutely nothing to do. The podcast is free and that's all I ask in return. If you've really enjoyed and you want to support the podcast on another level, I do have a Patreon page. On there every month you can support the podcast and every bit of money that goes in goes right back into the podcast. I make no money. What it does is it gives me the opportunity to host the podcast on different channels like Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and many more. But not only that, thanks to supporters of the podcast, Vice Press, who are easily the best company out there for movie posters, they give me some incredible prizes to say thanks for the support that you give me. Not only that, Last Exit to Nowhere, who you know by now are the best movie t-shirt company in the business. They give me some incredible prizes. But not only that, I'm getting new companies all the time, I'm getting random Blu-rays, I'm getting random merch, and as much as I can to say thanks. You can go on there and literally support me as little as £1 a month. And at the moment, you're guaranteed two episodes every single week for that. I am going to be offering some new benefits in the near future, so go on there. It makes a massive difference and really, really helps the podcast. So please, if you've loved today's episode, go on there and show me your support. I'll be back in only a few days' time with another brand new episode. It's a huge one. This week is going to be huge. We have hot milk today, a huge episode in the middle of the week, and I'm going to end it next weekend with an even bigger guest. It's an insane week for Mark and me. But as always, it's not slowing down anytime soon. Honestly, the interviews that are happening in the background are getting bigger and better and I can't wait to share them. But I'm not going to ruin it. I'm going to let you all keep on guessing through the social media channels at the hints I give out. 
But until the next episode, look after yourself, listen to hot milk, stay cool, and I'll see you all soon.